Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. Nick Hewer enjoyed a long and successful career in PR and marketing before he became famous as Alan Sugar's right-hand man on The Apprentice. He's since become a familiar face on our TV screens as host of Countdown. He stood down last year after, I think, a decade and has appeared in shows like Have I Got News For You and Celebrity Bake Off. Now he's joining seven celebrities on a pilgrimage through Ireland, Northern Ireland and Scotland for a brand new BBC Two series. Over 15 days, the pilgrims follow in the footsteps of the 6th century Irish monk, St. Columba, seeking out his legacy as a key figure in early British Christianity who helped spread the faith from Ireland to Scotland and beyond. Nick Hewer, welcome to Times Radio. How did they talk you into it, Nick? Tell me that. Um, It was a very difficult uh, decision, actually. Not least, in fact, principally, because I was terrified having read their contract which frankly would have terrified an SAS recruit, whether I could physically do it at the age of 78. Um, And I hummed and hawed and became a real bore. But on the other side, I felt I had something to offer, being a um, uh, a lapsed Catholic with an Anglo-Irish background, whose grandparents, a Presbyterian and a Catholic, married in Belfast in 1912, the year of the covenant. So I had that sort of background, a hinterland of uh, anti-bigotry, if you like. But eventually they said, are you in or not? And I said, I'm in. And I'm so pleased I was because I managed it. Huffed and puffed my way up mountains. I was terribly impressed with myself, actually. Well, I think you should, it sounds like you should have been. But can you tell me what those physical challenges outlined in the contract were that looked so daunting and, 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 oh, and you overcame? Seriously. I, in fact, we were there for a week because we had to, uh, we had to isolate and in our room and only hired out an hour a day. Well, actually, I hired an electric bicycle and cycled all around Donegal to get fit for it. But some of the contracts said... Thou shalt swim ice-cold fjords. Thou shalt climb mountains without moaning. You shall always do these things in the right spirit and all the rest of it. And um, I really had a a fright. Anyway, I'm glad I did it because it was very rewarding. From a religious point of view, yes, but from a cultural and from a landscape, a nature point of view, it was glorious. And what about from a friendship point of view? Because you travelled with a group of fellow pilgrims. How many of them did you know or recognise before you set off on the adventure? And and did you make friends? 
Yes, I did. But to be honest, I didn't really know them. I was 40 years older than most of them. The nearest to me in age was 20 years younger. And you, Mariella, would understand that sometimes, you know, 40 years, one doesn't have a great deal to talk about. However, we had a wonderful uh, Sikh, um, the uh, wonderful... Monty Panasai, yeah. What a lovely chap. What a lovely, open, innocent guy who talked about Sikhism. And in fact, when we got back, he and I trailed off to the uh, Sikh uh, temple in Northampton, which I was very impressed with and liked the, the generous philosophy of the Sikhs. They have a food bank there. They feed the homeless, as they do in the Strand every night. So Monty and I talk a lot. Um, who else have we got? Louisa, Louisa Klein, who is in... Um, Gosh, I've, it slips my mind. She was in one of the soaps anyway. A Jewish girl, what a fabulous, lovely woman. And only the other day I was with uh, uh, Nazia uh, Shazir, the um, very dry... Shazir Mirza, the, comedy, yeah. the, the comedian, yes. Sorry, and and what was the... Explain to me the point of everyone uh, coming or hailing from a different religious background. I suppose it was for an exchange of views. Um, not that we were going to come to blows or anything, but actually so that we could learn from each other, because I didn't know anything about Sikhism. Um, I've got a lot of Jewish friends, um, and um, there was we had a pagan by the name of uh, Lawrence Llewellyn Boehm. He proclaimed himself to be a pagan. And it was just to sort of discuss what our feelings were about faith. Now, I came out of a sort of a Jesuit background. I don't know whether you're familiar with the Jesuits. but they I am, and, and, and certainly the Jesuits in Ireland, which is, which is where you experience the full exactly. might of, the, of their rule. And maybe we can talk <laughs> about that in a second. Yeah. So, but that was, that was the issue, to talk. See, I came out of a very rigid Catholic background where the concept of belief, right, you can't just sort of say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe it. You've actually really got to believe it. And I never have. So I've got a problem. It's a gift. Some people get it. Some people don't. Um, and I was wondering whether at the age of 78, it wasn't about time. I had to look a closer look to see whether I could acquire this faith. Um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Or anyway, not yet. Although, interestingly, Mara, if you've got a minute, just after Christmas, I was picked as the voice of John one, you know the wonderful, uh, the wonderful lesson. Um, mm -hmm. In the beginning was the word, and I was suddenly picked to read it. Not only in the Albert Hall in front of five thousand people, but also in the Guards Chapel and in the chapel at the Tower of London. And for the first time, I began to actually warm to the concept because it's so beautifully written, and I was really very taken with it. So maybe I'm at a staging post. Well, I wonder because I, I was told by someone that the number of uh, deathbed conversions is off the Richter scale. So I do imagine that this is something that preoccupies people, um, you know, all of us as we get older. You know, you do suddenly. I mean, uh, you, you say at one point in, in the first program that you were shortchanging yourself and that you were a soul for hire. Well, exactly. what did you mean by that? Well, I think that, in fact, I know what I meant. I thought to myself, now here's an opportunity to listen to people from different faiths and to find out whether one of them appeals to me. I, I was rather sad there wasn't a Buddhist there. But um, I thought, I, I'm not going to become Jewish. It's just too much to learn. and I haven't got enough time. Um, and also, to a certain extent, the same with um, Shazia and Muslim 
the uh, Islam. Um, Sikhism is, of course, quite new, so I thought I'd have a look at that. Um, do, but I was saying think, Nick... to them, persuade me, sell me something that I can buy into. My soul is available to the best argument. But, Nick, is that because um, you sort of get to a point in life where you think, well, what was it for if there isn't something else? I I'm still quite sanguine about the thought that this is it and I've just better get on and yeah. make the, the most of it, which I yeah. think was the position you've been at for you know most of your life. Yes, and in fact, I'm quite relaxed about it. Um, of course, there are deathbed conversions. We're all known as daylight atheists. As soon at nighttime comes, we all begin to worry. Um, and as mm. the plane hurtles downward into the ground, um, one might suddenly reach out to God. But I hope that I'm satisfied that if I've led a reasonable life, then I've done my bit. All right. And I don't expect to find anything in the afterlife. Really? I don't. Mm. And the, my mm. problem with so many of these religions, particularly sort of Christianity, which only goes back 2000 years after all. We live in the 21st century where we're discovering all sorts of things. We've got to accept, actually, that the church has got to sort of modernize itself a bit. You know, you can't have Our Lady ascending into heaven like a Jeff Bezos rocket. <laughs> and, and the so, immaculate you... these sort of these sort of beliefs were fine at a time, but I would struggle with it now, to be honest. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should just. They're called mysteries, you see. That the Catholic Church says, ah, now what we have here is a mystery, and only God knows what it's all about, and you've just got to accept it because it's a mystery. Well, frankly, I'm not happy with that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Nick, can we now just go back into the mists of time? Uh, when you first appeared on our, our TV screens in The Apprentice in 2005, um, yeah. you were coming to the end of a, a long and successful career in PR and marketing. How surprised were you by this late flowering second career as a TV personality? And how willing were you to jump into it? That's a good question. I wasn't willing at all, to be honest with you, because I was involved with Alan Sugar um, over his being picked to front this programme, which he's done brilliantly, I should say, for the last 16 years. Um, so I was sort of involved with the producers and all the rest of it. And when he was picked, they said, what about your advisors, Sir Alan? Um, Nick would do. And, and Nick said Nick wouldn't do, actually, because I'd always been behind the camera sort of thing. And um, he said, um, oh, come on. W. And I said, oh, that's not my sort of thing. He said, um, that's your trouble. You've, you've got no backbone. You never have. And he said, and I'll fix the fee. I said, there's a fee? He's got, of course, there's a fee. And that sort of tipped it over. Um, and so <laughs> off we went, the three of us, Margaret Mountford, uh, Sharon and I. 
And to be honest with you, um, it was the most extraordinary opportunity. And it was a, it's a great show. I love it. And I don't care who says it's... I, in fact, I'm giving a talk tomorrow just actually telling people what a wonderful contribution it's made to demystifying business for young people. But anyway... Do you, mind that, do, do you mind that? Do you mind? Do you mind that Sir Alan said you had no backbone, or were you well used to a sort of Alan no, Sugar style to, tongue lashing? And he's sort of kidding around anyway. Funnily enough, just before the meeting with the with the BBC people, he had thrown a surprise party for me because he'd been a client of mine for years at the Dorchester for a hundred people, and I had a whole month of retirement, and then he's he dragged me back. Um, and that was, as you say, you know, 17 years ago or something. Amazing. But it's been wonderful and I'm very grateful. And uh, what, very What do you grateful. think it is? What do you think mm -hmm. it is about um, Alan that, that sort of rubs people up the wrong way? I suppose he's a strong character and, and that tends to polarise people. Well, I mean, he, what you see on The Apprentice is absolutely him. But what you don't see is uh, the extraordinary generosity. Um, his, you know contributions to charities is huge. I mean, he never talks about it quite rightly. Secondly, his loyalty to people that he's friendly with, his old friends, um, incredibly loyal, um, kindly. Um, he's just very even-handed and extraordinarily bright, but he doesn't fool, uh, you know, suffer fools gladly. Um, and he, he stands up for what he thinks is right and is prepared to say so. So I think he's a very good guy. Um, you spent 10 years hosting one of Channel 4's most successful shows, Countdown. Yeah. Uh, I, I did wonder, with your business head on, uh, whether you think the privatisation plans for the channel are a good idea because they have um, you know, attracted a lot of attention and a lot of debate. I don't like it at all. Now, let, let's just... Take this head on. It at the moment, yes, it's uh, it uh, has um, advertising to help support it. If it's purely commercial for profit, the shareholders will want as much profit as possible. And in order to get profit, you charge more for the advertising. And in order to get more for the advertising, you've got to go for very big audiences. Ergo you're going to dumb things down. And there are some things on Channel 4 that, frankly, I find very offensive, that naked attraction thing, which I stumbled over the other day. I can't believe what that's doing on national television. Extraordinary. However, the thing is, you'll get real dumbed-down um, stuff chasing big audiences, and that great spirit that um, was there in November 1982 when it first started will have disappeared, you know, that, that, that sort of unusual, the strength of the programmes. And I think it's very sad. You know, yeah. when you get, you know, when profits are all that matters, yes, the product will suffer. And also, I mean, do you think Nadine Doris understands the role that Channel 4 plays? Because this idea that somehow by selling it off, money is going to be better distributed around the country and levelling up is going to be facilitated, again, with your business hat on, how does that work? And, and, and because as, as I understand it, Channel 4 doesn't really cost us, the public, the taxpayer, no. anything. No, I don't know that Nadine Doris knows anything about anything, to be quite honest with you. I'm not altogether sure that she knows how to get home at night. 
I mean, I just watched, uh, Powell sent me two clips of her being interviewed. It was absolutely extraordinary. A secretary of state stumbling around, not knowing what's going on. So anyway, um, a lot's to be said for this government when it comes to third rate, frankly. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say about stumbling around because you bring me first full circle, should I say, Um, because I I, I know that you had one night of of (laughs) one troublesome night. Uh, Maybe you had more than one troublesome night when you were on this said pilgrimage. But one was, I think, uh, fueled by whiskey. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Well, actually, it wasn't whiskey. Now, here's the thing. Glenfiddich, I heard. That is whiskey. Oh, Glenfiddich, oh, that was the joke. In fact, it's not even an original joke. I wish it were, but you're too young to remember George Brown. Do you remember George? Gosh, that, no, that's one, it's the first time anyone's ever said that, and actually I have been too young to remember. <laughs> Normally I can. <laughs> he, he was always sloshed, and he always said, oh, I slept on the slopes of Glenfiddich. Anyway, so I resurrected it. The truth of the matter is we were sleeping on the floor, um, and we had air beds, and on top of the air bed, there's um, um, a sleeping bag, okay? Yes, we'd all been outside, we'd all had a drink, but we weren't, we weren't even tipsy, actually. But you try, at the age of 78, a long time in the future, I know, to stand on an air bed in the dark with nothing to hold on to in order to try to get your feet into the sleeping bag. Impossible. And that's what happened. And I, I took a tumble. And Never did mind. you have, aside from that moment when you took the tumble, I presume yeah. you didn't hurt yourself too badly. No, no, did no. you did did you have any sort of Damascene revelation on this trip? Yeah. Even just that you were capable of far more than you might have credited yourself with. Absolutely. The the great the great time was in the Highlands of Scotland because we 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 walked from Donegal town on the very west, on the Atlantic coast of Northern Ireland, all the way along, took a ferry to the Mull of Gintyre, and then we walked from the Mull of Gintyre all the way up into the highlands to the, to the island of Mull and Iona. Now, let me tell you, the highlands of Scotland beat the scenery of Northern Ireland 10 to 1. I was amazed, bearing in mind that it rained solidly for a fortnight and walking and getting drenched and looking at the highlands through a mist didn't matter because it was beautiful and it was that 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 was my damascene moment if you like because i thought you know nature must stand very close to god i haven't discovered god but my word i've discovered the beauty of uh, scotland and uh, began to appreciate nature and the ability to walk through this absolute wonderland. So that was that was a joy, a real joy. I loved it. And I must get back to Scotland pronto. Um, and uh, you've sung the praises of Scotland there, but uh, there's also a slightly sort of moving moment um, in the first programme where you pass through the Bogside region of, of, yeah. of Derry, London Derry, where you remember the events of Bloody Sunday in, in 1972. How, how different does the city feel today? And, and what, what was that moment like for you? Very, very different. You see, my grandfather, he was a Belfast man, um, Quite an extraordinary man, actually. He was a Catholic um, in, you know, 1910, 
1912, he met um, a wonderful woman, a Presbyterian, and married her. He was a politician. He was a Catholic politician in the Falls Road, excuse me, but he wasn't Sinn Féin. He was what's known as a, a home ruler, okay? Um, and he and his wife and four daughters, one of which was my mother, had to leave Belfast and go and live in a little cottage because there was a price on his head and he had to come in every day. And his wife, my grandmother, used to come with him for fear that if he was going to be shot, she'd be with him. And he then went on to become the first Catholic high sheriff of Belfast and indeed the first Catholic uh, deputy Lord Lieutenant of Belfast. Amazing. And yet the bigotry was such in those days that whilst he really achieved high office, his daughters couldn't go to the right tennis club, if you know what I mean. So he really understood bigotry, as indeed my mother passed on to me the horror of bigotry. So to look from the walls of uh, Derry, Londonderry, down onto that city that was so troubled way back in, you know, and I can't actually even remember the year of Bloody Sunday. It was wonderful to see. 72, I think, wasn't it? Was it 72, the year? I think yeah, so. okay. Um, and of course, you know, because of my education in Ireland, in the South, with the Jesuits, I understood because there were boys there also who were from the north, who had come south to um, the Republic, which is predominantly Catholic, in order to go to school. So I sort of got it, you know, and it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Belfast, what a city now. And yet... Yeah, so what much fun, perils. isn't it? Oh, it's... it's uh, and for that, we've got to look to um, Tony Blair in a big way, something that he's not given enough credit for. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hold up. 